Hey, Biz Dads, welcome back to another exciting week. It is good to be with you today. We had a big, busy weekend. We'll talk all about it. We're going to get into some of the happenings from the week, some interesting stuff in the world of sports. You're going to dig into SPACs and a little bit about what uh, SPACs are. You probably hear a lot of the, about them in the financial news. We've got a really cool uh, discussion around the impact of the interest rate with the Fed coming out uh, with the interest rate and how it will impact sports. A cul-de-sec chat around, do you care about Big Brother and your privacy? How does it matter? And we'll get into this week's Final Four. Let's jump into it, this week's Biz Dads. All right, Andres, how was your weekend? I'll tell you what, no soccer on Saturday, but then we got an opportunity on Sunday. I'm sure you guys did too, and I'm curious to hear what you all did. But um, obviously the U.S. Open was on, it, but it was not a day to be inside. I mean, the weather was awesome. And uh, got up on Sunday, played some tennis, and then I ended up spending all day on Sunday outside with the kids. It was a good weekend. I'm excited for fall break. We are... Uh, Fortunately, going to get away. We're going to go down to uh, 30A. How was your weekend? Do we talk about at this point how you guys are going down to 30A without us? Uh, you made a whole family affair. You're over the Oleckis. You don't want a vacation with us anymore? We we are doing an, a different trip this time. We are doing Sendate's. We're doing a family trip this time. No, no harm, no foul. I mean, look, we'll, we'll resume those, those adventures in good time. We decided to rent a house uh, in, uh, I think we're in Seacrest this year. I was surprised at how many folks were going down there. I didn't know what to expect, I guess, but apparently houses were, you know, were going left and right. So we ended up getting one with my sister's family and my mom. Um, and so we're heading down on Saturday for the week and then kids go back to school on Monday. Are you going on fall break? You going anywhere? Yeah, we're going to get over to the lake. It's a lake Oconee for a while, uh, just for a few days to get away. Excited about that. Get over there with another uh, another family where the kids can can have some fun. But it's going to be low-key, just, uh, I think, Sunday to Wednesday. We had, a, uh, we had a pretty good weekend, a very busy weekend. To your point, the weather's been fantastic. Saturday was really one of the first times I ever realized that we may be over-programmed and unintentional because I had Andrew's baseball in the morning, Ben's flag football, Ben's baseball and then Andrew's flag football, so we were uh, we were running and gunning, man, all Saturday, nonstop. So we started the league, the football league, with Eric Kamansky, who you know our listeners may remember from Way to Play, and it was great. We had our first weekend. I think everybody had a great time. Um, we got a you know I think a, close to 100 kids in turnout to start, so it was really really fun to get that going. And then, um, you know, baseball is just busy, man. We had two early games in a tournament on Sunday. You know, the boys played played okay the first game and played good the second game. Um, it was definitely not the follow-up to our championship weekend that we wanted. But I, I continued to struggle with the same thing we talked about last week with just this, you know, that dad syndrome. Um, because, you know, Ben's playing great in the field. He just not hitting the way that what I think he should. And I've kind of been almost defeated because I can't help him. And uh, so we're, we're going to try to call in all troops to get this thing going. But 
uh, nonetheless, I'm just glad he's having fun because that's really he's having fun doing it. He's loving his buddies. They have such a great time. It's so cool to watch them get out there and play. But we have definitely had a lot going on. I know we have scouts tonight. We got baseball the rest of the week. I got to move out of our office. It's like the world is just busy, man. It's just busy. Yeah, it is. It is. I think as school for those of us in uh, in in this part of the world uh, that are going back to face to face, you know, I think that <laughs> in about two weeks, I predict that we're all we're all going to look up and and it's going to feel like more and more normal uh, because all the extracurricular activities for the most part are back. Right. Some of them are doing it virtually. Some of them are doing it in person. But at least there's stuff happening. And uh, and so, yeah, I think Wednesday night is the night of the week at this point that our family have nothing on the calendar uh, after school's over. And I kept saying to myself, you know, that we were going to be able to at least have dinner three to four nights a week. Um, I think that's so important. And, you know, we've all we've all got family and friends who say, yeah, it just speeds up as your kids get older. So yeah, it definitely feels like this fall is busier than, than last spring for sure. And, uh, uh dude, if it speeds up, I need a new set of wheels <laughs> and price better brakes, but we bring it on ourselves. You started a sock, you started a flag football league. What'd you expect? <laughs> I know. But you know what? It's the only thing that I really truly like on Saturdays, I, I go or Sundays. I'm like, man, that was awesome. And then the rest of the week, it's like, we're, I was talking to Margaret Ann. I said, you know, it's starting to become that that the kids' sports is my release. You know, some people need a glass of wine. Some people need a nice bath. Some people need to go for a long walk. Um, for me, it's like what keeps me grounded is the kids doing sports stuff. That's probably a testament to my upbringing and, and you know, where my passion lies. But it's really the only thing that I... I look at, at the end of a long day and go, man, at least I get to do this. You know, I, uh, no, I, can, I can relate to that. I, in fact, when I'm leaving the office and I'm on 285, the, the connector notoriously horrible traffic. It has been lighter due to COVID and a lot of people still working from home. And and so I was expecting with this new job that I started a month ago that I was just going to hate the commute because I'd met so many people who were like, I just you know, by the time they get done, they're, you know, they're white knuckle driving the whole way home and they're so pent up and it hasn't been that bad. But one of the things that's really been fun is actually, instead of going directly home is, is going to soccer practice and being out there with the kids. I totally can relate to what you're saying. Cause there's definitely this energy that shifts and, uh, it's a lightness and a, a youthfulness that, uh, obviously, you know, we tend to not get in our, our day to day jobs. Um, so I can uh, I can totally relate, and I'm gonna I, I mean I'm gonna recommend a book to you uh, later in the show that I've been reading. Turns out the last week when we were having that conversation about you know um, kind of getting getting I want to say caught up, but but you know the feelings that you have when your kids are in competitive sports and how it starts to take on a different dimension. It sounds like you're having you know continuing to have some thoughts around that. I, I'm reading a really interesting book that I'll recommend to you and our listeners here later in the show. Yeah, I look forward to that. I mean, I, you know how bad I am about reading, but I really do need to get into it. Because I think I need to find a couple other releases as well. I have not done the cycling that I wanted to do, so I have got to get better at that. And I need my good friend who was going to do it with me on Tuesdays and Thursdays to 
pushed me a little harder. Um, but you know, we had a, a America suffered a crazy loss, uh, you know, last week too with um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg who passed. Um, pretty interesting because it again became uber political, and of course, whenever you lose uh, a Supreme Court justice, it becomes political because whoever's there. And in control, the time gets to nominate the the replacement. You know, a month and a half from a, six weeks from an election is a crazy time for that to come about. And, you know, I don't know. It's interesting to hear people talk about, you know, whether or not Trump should be able to replace uh, her. Um, obviously, the female voice has really gotten louder because uh, RBG was such a big proponent um and an icon in the women's rights movement, which is pretty interesting to to see how that's going to be handled in the really volatile environment that we are unfortunately all living in right now. Um, so it, it's it's terrible to see that she's gone uh, with all the amazing work that she's she's done. I hope the right decisions are made. And candidly, Andres, I don't know if the right decision is to to go ahead and do it or to wait and see what happens after the election. I think the process is in in place that the votes could mean we have to wait until after the election, but it doesn't sound like it's going that way. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I know. I I, I mean, this is obviously a, a, a real-time breaking, continues to be breaking news. I mean, from the standpoint of Justice Ginsburg, I mean, you're talking about just an absolute icon and became really, as you mentioned, like a rock star here in the last 10 years. Uh, there's a you know, number of documentaries, one really good one out there about her life. And I mean, it was interesting because at dinner last night, Frankie, our daughter, was talking about um, she's doing politics and economics now in third grade. And they're learning about the different branches of the government. And she did a yeah. paper on uh, the legislative, the judicial and the executive uh, branch. And She's she's now aware that the United States has never had a female president. And she's now aware that, you know, there was a Supreme Court justice that just passed away, one of only, you know, three women on the on the bench. And she asked, you know, when's there going to be a female president? And it's um, it, it just brings it all home. I mean, it's uh, so from, you know, from the standpoint of her life story and to think she graduated uh, from law school and no law firms would hire her um, to then sitting on the highest bench in the country. And then, you know, you knew, unfortunately, it was, you know, it was going to be just literally a matter of hours before the news uh, media started picking up on the fact that, uh, you know, there was going to be this huge debate over her, uh, who was going to be nominated. Um, now, Trump, President Trump did announce this week that he's considering four or five um women to be her replacement yeah and uh and i did see today that uh senator romney came out and said that he was going to you know uphold his his uh constitutional responsibility and vote if a nominee was put forth on the floor of the senate which would which would actually based on what i've seen so far there's only two senators who have kind of held out and said you know that they're just not going to move forward um senator out of alaska and um, and of course, uh, Senator Collins out of Maine. So unfortunately, and it's just for the Democrats, just a math issue. Like yep. there's no there. Even if even if even if they wanted to 
block it. I mean, there's just there doesn't appear to be a path now that candidate that's put forth obviously has to go through hearings and has to go through vetting and you know but it, it does appear at least on the surface that there's going to be a vote on the floor of the senate so we'll see i'm going to be curious to see who who's nominated i've got to do more reading about who the four or five lead uh, nominees are um, because one thing's for certain if it's somebody that's in their 40s or 50s you know they, they could literally be on the bench for you know the next three or four decades it's unfortunate that the politics and the back and forth and all of the craziness that are going on this has to be added to the mix it's as they say so 2020 i'm sure if somebody asked rbg she would have held on as long as humanly possible i'm sure she fought pretty hard out of curiosity andres when you do get a chance to look at some of the nominees i'd really love your thoughts and Anne, i'd love maybe next week we'd look at it after the nomination has been announced because it sounds like it's coming pretty quickly maybe we could talk about it and, and dive deeper into it next week in other news, TikTok was was all the headlines this week. Sunday was the deadline. Uh, they were going to shut down TikTok and WeChat. Um, they did shut down WeChat. WeChat is no longer available in the United States. Uh, you know, it is so censored through the Chinese government. I saw a really fascinating uh, story. I can't remember what news outlet it was on, but they were talking about WeChat and the censorship of it if you were to post in the wechat a picture of the chinese leader the picture wouldn't actually show up in the chat they were literally sensing it in real time the algorithm was designed to censor the the chats between you and another person so my gut tells me i'm kind of glad that one is off the table and there's a legal proceedings there's been um a court ruling the whole thing is crazy to, to watch. But TikTok, because of the deal that was cut between Oracle and Walmart, TikTok survived the weekend. And the deal now gives Walmart and Oracle 20% ownership of TikTok. The algorithm and a lot of the real quote unquote tech stuff remains part of the, the Chinese ownership, which is, what is it? ByteDance. Right, you know, there's this whole conversation. I want to talk a bit about more in the the cul-de-sac chat, but privacy side of it, how much ownership gives the U.S. the rights, and there's actually a lot of U.S. investors already. So I think U.S. ownership actually gets close to 50%, if not breaking the 50% threshold of ownership. But just a ton of dialogue over the weekend about TikTok, and it was really, really interesting because every time I turned around. There was a TikTok ad on TV pushing people to download it. It's fascinating to watch. Yeah, and if you didn't see all of the advertisements on all the channels, you saw all the famous TikTokers being like, follow me on Triller since TikTok going down. Have you all heard about the new competing app from Instagram, Triller? Yeah. So all the famous people were trying to get everyone to download that because they still want to release their important content. But that was very funny. You know, I think Oracle is going to have a real tech tie-in. There was a lot of questions about Walmart's role and what Walmart was going to going to be. But it sounded like the, the direction of TikTok is going to be much more retail and consumer focused. You know, they're going to work on the capitalistic component of TikTok. It's just, it's amazing to me how, one, the president gets involved, government gets involved. 
shuts it down, doing what I think they all thought was right by our country and, and our privacy. You remember the, uh, I can never pronounce it, the HIWI? You know, the same thing happened a couple years ago with that. You know, our privacy from a country, from a national security standpoint, needs to be the priority. But who would have ever thought a social media app would would get to this point? And it's this complex. There's a couple of really great articles out there that talk about this deal. And I mentioned, I know on one of our prior shows how, you know, President Trump wanted to basically architect the deal. And one of the news reports I read from the Wall Street Journal um, talked about the very last minute negotiating basically that was going on between Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin and the parties to the deal. And apparently, you know, he, President Trump, wanted something more than what was on the table. And so a $5 billion education fund apparently was kind of hashed out as a, you know, I don't want to say token um, gesture, but as a, as an additional deal point. And uh, the details of that have not quite yet emerged, but I think it just kind of goes back to the, yes, this was a fast moving, highly sensitive for national security reasons situation involving executives at the highest levels of power at two of the, you know, world's biggest corporations, uh, Larry Ellison, who's a huge Republican donor and uh, and the CEO of Walmart, um, who's actually, you know, had a phenomenal run. You know, they bought dot com, I think, Jet, and uh, they've made significant investments in India. I think it's Doug McMillan is his name. So Walmart continues to be transformational. I mean, if I don't know if you've seen the ads speaking of TV, but Walmart now has kind of a competing service to Amazon Prime, which is starting to get a little bit of play. And, and it'll be interesting to see if people end up with two services. Because when I think I need something off the internet, I think Amazon. I don't think Walmart. Jet was an, an original competitor with Amazon, but didn't really, didn't come close to competing. Walmart obviously has the chops to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that acquisition should give Walmart the, the ability to at least compete. But at this point, you're turning an aircraft carrier. What's I mean, uh, what's what's wrong with us, Brad? We've gotten ten minutes into our show and we haven't talked about the U.S. Open. Like, are you still <laughs> watching golf? Because well, I, I, I didn't watch that, any. I'll golf. tell you that I I don't I didn't like the U.S. Open on TV this week because I didn't have enough time to watch it. Fall weekends were too busy. Father's Day weekend is usually the weekend for the U.S. Open, and that is where you get the chance to uh, to call in the dad card. Yeah. And just sit and watch it. But interesting comment I saw. You know, Bryson DeChambeau won. And he's this interesting personality that really got into, um, you know, mathematics and the science of his body into his golf game. And, you know, he is muscle bound at this point because he's hitting the ball 370 yards off the tee. And it's been the talk of the town. And Paul Azinger said he's, he had to clarify his comments because he said he, he justified. His winning the U.S. Open was justification on steroids that his approach works. And it, he didn't say that he was on steroids, but it was, of course, because everybody can't take things for what it's worth. Everyone has to spin things around. He had to come back out and say, I wasn't saying that Bryson DeChambeau was on steroids. I was saying that it was justification amplified 
that his approach is working. So, but um, tough yeah. course from what it looked like too. No, I know there was a lot. There was a lot going on for us both personally this weekend, and you know, for me, one of the one of the TV highlights for sports because it was such an awesome day Sunday is I flipped on the late NFL games and the Chiefs were playing out in LA. They were playing the Chargers. The Chiefs just did not have a really good offensive game. It looked like, and it came down to the very end. And uh, local product, Harrison Butker, who kicked for Georgia Tech, is the Chiefs kicker. He apparently hit a game-tying field goal uh, as time and regulation expired. And then as it went to overtime, you know, Chargers had the ball first, turned it over on downs. Chiefs go down the field and line up for a 53-yarder. And I'm thinking, this kid's got it, you know. And he's he's been, you know, he's just been rock solid. I think it's his third year in the league. And it's an offsides. So he goes back five yards and uh, Tony Romo, you know, on the CBS telecast is talking him up. He's like, he's got ice in his veins. First kick, uh, timeout. Second kick, timeout. So he's now two for two from 58 yards. He'd already tied, you know, Nick Lowry, the longtime Chiefs kickers franchise record and uh, lines up for the third attempt and nailed it from 58 yards. So. It was a fun end to the Sunday football, and then I turned on my phone and I saw the news about Justice Ginsburg, and it kind of brought me back to earth. Um, because whether or not you're, you know, Republican or Democrat, I think a lot of people realize like what a what an icon and what a groundbreaking trailblazer she was. And I just hope, for the sake of our country, that uh, this next six weeks is is. You know, however we come through this, man. I just hope, for the sake of our country, like we we find. Um, we find some middle ground. I know it's cliche and it, it's it's not the popular thing to say, but it just, you know, she made some tough calls in her time. And yes, she clearly voted more with the uh, with with the liberal block of the of the of the Supreme Court. But if you read a little bit more carefully and closely, she actually had some uh, some dissenting opinions in, in her time. And, um, you know, we, we just I think we need more true leaders uh right now. So we'll just see what happens. It's going to be a, a, a crazy six weeks. Well, you couldn't have gone from one extreme to the other there. You talk about the NFL and you roll right back into, you know, uh, Ginsburg. But I guess most Falcons fans would probably say that, that they're not happy about anything going on in the world right now, particularly oh. being a Falcons fan after the disaster that was the end of that game with the onside yeah. kick and, and being up by Dallas and too much reminiscence to the Super Bowl debacle against Brady in 28 to three. Um, so to all you Falcons fans out there, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we sympathize with you and best of luck the rest of the way. And to Dan Quinn, good luck on whatever future ventures uh, you, you have out there. Cause I don't know if it's salvageable here in Atlanta. Um, but you know, the, the NFL continues to just be this, Mack truck that is just dominating but you know the world of sports continues to throw us some real good stories so let's jump into it let's get into a little sports and biz news for the week so really interesting uh you know the deal makers in us will appreciate this nascar has a new ownership group a couple weeks ago bubba wallace did not renew its deal you know with uh richard petty racing and Everybody was kind of wondering where he was going, and then it comes out that Michael Jordan is now a majority owner of a single NASCAR team, and he's going to drive. So the diversity engine continues to churn in NASCAR, which is good. I think Michael Jordan putting his name out there 
is not only making a statement in that he's just a great sports executive, but also that he's starting to be a voice for change and um, will probably continue to champion those causes across uh, across NASCAR to a to a very important segment and audience and fan base that needs that message. I mean, this is really interesting. I um I know that uh, Jordan has some 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 major influence, obviously, in the world of of basketball. But you know, to see this diversification, it kind of reminds me. Didn't Joe Gibbs? I mean, for years, Joe Gibbs, a football coach. I was like, he's a football coach, and then I turned around one day, it was ten years ago, and I'm like, wait a minute, he's like a powerhouse in something else too. Um, he's in two Hall of Fames. I mean, he's in yeah. the NASCAR Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting because you know how competitive Jordan is. And you know, even though the Charlotte, you know, Bobcats haven't been the uh, darlings of the NBA, they're a smaller market team. Um, he's got a lot of influence. And I would I would think that he's, you know, certainly from a merchandising standpoint, I'm going to be really curious to see, does the Jordan, does the Jordan brand lock horns with you know, lock into NASCAR and all of a sudden we start seeing, cause you know, there's only so many people out there willing to wear the, the big 24, you know, Jeff Gordon NASCAR cap. <laughs> so maybe the gear could use a refresh. Well, will the, will the, the team number be 23? That's what I want to know. Or 45 even. Yeah. Who knows? Or uh, it can't be 43. Cause that was, you know, that's the King's number, uh, Richard Petty, but look, it's a great move. I love it. And I hope he's very vocal and he hope he's very outspoken. And um, he, you know, he, he leads a great team and I hope they're successful. Yeah. Now I've got a question for you. Changing the topic a little bit. We've talked at the beginning of the show about how, uh, or at least the intro, I mentioned the SPACs. Mm-hmm. I want to change the tune a little bit because this is crosses between business and sports. Tell us what a SPAC is. Tell us why it's popping up everywhere, how it compares to certain things some people may be familiar with like hedge funds and what's the future look like for these things without giving advice, of course. Yeah. Without advice. No, I mean, so the acronym, first of all, S P A C SPAC, it stands for special purpose acquisition company. So the SPAC or special purpose acquisition company is effectively a way for to finance or purchase a business, typically it's a it's an operating business. So think about maybe it's a sports team. And so instead of a group of investors writing a check to buy a sports team, right? That what they'll do is they'll form a special purpose acquisition company. Okay. And let's just call it Atlanta Falcons Acquisition Company. So they take that company public. So you and I, as individual investors, can invest in the Atlanta Falcons Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And then with the proceeds of that IPO, we would then, if we were the sponsor of it, and we came up with the idea, we would then take the proceeds of that IPO, and we would go buy a company. So it's formed specifically for the purpose of buying an operating business or operating businesses. And it's another way for that private company to now be public, sort of an indirect way to do an IPO. And they're popular right now because a lot of folks are interested in the equity markets. You know, a lot of individual investors are investing in the public public markets. You know, we've talked about on the show how a lot of the day trading um, and and 
you know, individual investing platforms like TD Ameritrade and E-Trade and Robinhood and all these are, you know, making record record earnings. Uh, these companies effectively, these private special purpose acquisition companies are now ways for individual investors to buy into a management team and the management team's business plan of going and buying a operating company that's private. And then obviously that company would then, you know, would then, would then be public. So that company becomes a part of the public holdings of the SPAC, right? Yes. Because you sell your, the, the, the SPAC is what you're selling quote unquote stocks to. Right. Right. And so it's, you raise that money a, and then you a, go buy. So you're not actually, when you buy into a SPAC as an investor, quote unquote, or a stockholder, you're not actually buying into anything. You get, they're going to go buy, they, they're raising money and then they're going to go buy stuff. Right. You're, you're, you're going to want to read those, uh, you're going to want to read those, those SEC filings in, in detail to understand what is the management team's, you know, what's the focus, what's their interest, what's their expertise and what kind of businesses are they going to, uh, going to go try to buy. And you're seeing SPACs formed in all different industries right now. There's there's been uh, issuances of a couple hundred million dollars, uh, and there's been some issuances of of uh, several billion dollars over the last uh, year, and obviously you know the the larger the SPAC issuance and the you know the success of it in raising money through the you know the public listing, the bigger check they can write for a private business, and so. There are a lot of folks that are speculating that there are going to be more and more of these SPACs issued as the public equity markets continue to attract a lot of attention. And as a way to, I don't want to say work around, but avoid a lot of the cumbersome, expensive, costly hurdles that come with taking a company public. You know, this is this is a more... Uh, this is a in some in some people's mind, this is a more efficient way to take a company public. So and I was reading about it. It says that the funds are basically placed in an escrow account, right? And that they then identify the deals and that deal has to be presented to investors. So, you know, in sports, particularly, if you go back before the SPACs were important at all, Andrew Merstein uh, Medallion Financial tried to buy the Cubs and the Panthers, I think, with a SPAC, and he was unsuccessful. That's going all the way back in 2008. Now you see him everywhere. I mean, the biggest one right now in the sports world is called Red Ball Acquisition, which is from the Redbird Capital Group. And Redbird Capital is, is really big right now in the, in the name image likeness space. They are the group that brought together the players associations. I, I think even Tillman, uh, Tillman Fertitta, didn't he create a SPAC to kind of buy investments and other things? He's the, he's the owner of DraftKings and, um, golden nugget and the Houston Rockets, the Houston Rockets. Yeah. So he, he, he used the golden nugget to go buy those two entities, right? Well, and it kind of brings up the other part of this, which is, you know, the federal reserve, came out last week and announced that they were going to keep interest rates low for the foreseeable futures. You know, I think it was out until 2023. So you have this formula, if you're, you know, if, 
if you're a capitalist and you want to go and acquire assets, you have this, you know, this sort of formula where you can you can borrow money really, really cheaply, right? And you can use the balance sheet of your assets. So in the case of Tillman Fertitta, uh, who owns the Houston Rock Rockets, you know, you've got I think it's the Golden Nugget casinos, you've got Landry's restaurants. You can load those up with debt and use the proceeds to, you know, go and acquire the Houston Rockets. Um, and now you see sports franchises with media deals and stadium deals and the valuations of those respective franchises going what the Mets sold last week or two weeks ago for over $2.2 And I know there's a lot of speculation that low interest rates and an increasing appetite, as you've noted in our prior shows, of folks that want to be associated with sports and entertainment assets, with sports and entertainment talent, uh, and they want to be in those industries, it's kind of a formula that I think we're going to see a lot more of going forward. There's a lot of older owners, oh, and I, I would imagine that you know franchises like the Cowboys are always going to be in the, the family of the, of the, the Jones, Jones family. family. right? Yeah, but there are a lot that won't be. But and and a now lot. a lot of these franchises are starting to sell pieces. Yeah. You know, you'll hear about some of the most iconic franchises in all of sports who are selling 1%, 2%. And those those are huge numbers that they're asking for 1% ownership stake. But it does allow for guys like Jerry Cardinal, who started Redbird. You know, he started a group called Legends, or he was pivotal in a joint venture between the Cowboys and the Yankees, starting a group called Legends which originally, if I'm remembering this correctly, started as a, a food and beverage hospitality premium seat company where they were competing with the Aramarks and the Delaware Norths of the world. And then they started to really evolve into merchandise. They evolved into premium seating. And now they're one of the biggest players in the space in all things revenue generation for sports. And, you know, Jerry Cardinal has, has gone off and and is changing the industry. I mean, there's these guys. I mean, there's some pretty smart people out there. I got to figure out how to do this, man. You get you get. You, you, well, you I just, look at it you as find, uh, you can't you can't miss. It's like always hitting the bullseye. Yeah, I I look at it as you know when a lot of the larger uh, publicly traded tech companies, and I'm not thinking Microsoft as much as I'm thinking companies like Facebook uh, and some of the others that have gone public in the last. 10 years, you know, the control is actually with the owners, right? The owners being the Zuckerbergs of the world through their super voting control of the shares, you know, that they have 10 to one or 20 to one or 30 to one or 50 to one rights. But it gives individuals and, you know, individuals like you and I the opportunity to own a piece of that company. And I think you're going to see more and more of that with uh, sports franchises, number one, where Arthur Blank and Arthur Blank's family probably always own the Falcons, but you you bring in local, successful, wealthy celebrities to own, you know, a one percent, a one and a half percent, you know, share. And you give fans through, you know, it starts with personal seat licenses, but I think that it goes beyond that eventually, uh, a right to own a piece of the team. So I think that happens. But other thing I think that happens is the NFL you mentioned kicked off and it's, you know, obviously continues to still be the Mack truck, but a lot of interest generated in 
the Falcons built a billion-dollar stadium, a little over a billion-dollar stadium with Mercedes-Benz Stadium, finished two years ago, right? For a billion dollars, that's a lot of money. The stadium that was just built in Inglewood that the Rams are playing in is a $5 billion development. And I say development because they're no longer stadiums. It's now an entire real estate development with entertainment, shopping, you know, apartments. And we have one of those right down the street in, you know, in, in the Brave Stadium. And I think that more and more ownership groups are going to, you know, say, well, gosh, why are we playing in this stadium with a bunch of parking all around it? And everybody else is making money from the hotels and from the restaurants and from the bars and from, you know, everything else, you know, that's a mile away. And so I think that's I think that's going to be another big trend that we'll see in sports and, and a further intersection of sports and the capital markets um, over the next, you know, five, 10 years. That ship is sailing fast. You're no doubt these teams are becoming more real estate companies. You mentioned the interest rate component. Great article in Sportico. I found a new favorite, a new favorite email newsletter that I follow. And I forwarded it to you, uh, I think, but it's called John Wall Street by Sportico. Yeah. And um, it's really where sports and business intersect. And it's such a, it's, it's such a great topic generator for this, for this platform. But with the low interest rates, they're just talking about how quickly these high net worth individuals that own these teams are going to just start, you know, investing in real estate and expanding in everything from from stadiums to infrastructure. And I think you see a lot of diversification, a lot of, uh, of a lot of these portfolios is, you know, they know they can, they can get money real cheap. And to your point, whether they're going to load it up on current businesses, debt on current businesses that they have, or, or go get, you know, new debt to, to expand. They're, they're betting on the come. They're seeing the opportunity for a long-term payoff. And yeah, one of the things that's happened in my field in the last, you know, since the last financial crisis is that there's been a a real aggressive hunt for yielding assets, you know, with with interest rates literally at at, at zero and um, long term, you know, treasuries or 10 year treasuries, you know, in the 60 to 80 basis points, you know, which is less than one percent. Um, so where are you putting your money to work? If, you know, if you're managing pension fund or you're managing a big endowment, or if you're managing, you know, a multi-million dollar fortune, um, and even if you're managing your own 401k, I mean, you know, do you want to put all your eggs in the, in the stock market and, and potentially, you know, go through another 2008, uh, when some of these companies are trading at just ridiculous, you know, multiples of revenue, not even earnings. Um, so that so that has obviously people concerned because people that lived through the 2000 tech meltdown um, and or lived through the 2008 meltdown don't want to go through that again. Uh, so where are you getting assets that yield anything? And that's one of the reasons why, you know, Wall Street has manufactured over the last 10, 12 years a lot of income producing assets that people are hungry for. And there's been an attractive financing and and debt market to accommodate loading up on more debt. And there will be some that pay the price and we will see a lot of restructurings and already have due to COVID. It's just gonna be an interesting 
time in the next uh, several years to see, you know, kind of who comes through this and who doesn't. I got to get smarter, man. I got to spend 20 years in the sports business and I got to figure out how to actually capitalize on all this movement. We're going to start a SPAC. It's going to be the BizDad SPAC. There you go. We're going to raise money through the equity markets. We'll come up with a fancy a fancy ticker. We'll come up with a business that we think we can go and acquire. One day yeah, we'll let's be start the- by asking all of our listeners to send checks to us. <laughs> send you know, them to I'll, an escrow bank. I'll give us. you my yeah. Direct, direct message me, and I'll send you my address to where you can um, send us a check for your first investment to the BizDad oh SPAC. My gosh. The only SPAC I have in my future is fixing holes in my walls. The spackle <laughs> that I use to fix the holes in my walls when my kids bust stuff up in my house. Indoor right. bat- indoor batting practice. Oh, That's right. Goodness. There you go. All right, let's jump into this week's cul-de-sac chat. All right, Andres, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, but I'm really interested in where you stand, and you too, Producer Twist, on privacy. Big Brother, do you care about it? Are you concerned about it? What areas of it are you concerned about? Because if I'm jumping on my soapbox real quick, the entire world is connected through the Internet of Things. If you don't know what the Internet of Things is, go look it up. It's literally an entire connection of you know, smart devices that it's there. We don't really pay a lot of attention to it, but it's there. And at the end of the day, that's when the machines take over. Um, but no, I mean, all joking aside, the, you're connected everywhere. Your device, your Amazon Alexa, your connected TV, your vehicle, your car, you know, um, if, if you have GPS in your car, I mean, anything that's got a computer chip in it these days is collecting data on you. And that data is being used to serve you ads at a minimum. That's where everybody talks about, I was watching, you know, a show and talking to my wife. And minutes later, I saw an ad on Facebook for what we were talking about. That's not circumstance. That's, I mean, that's legitimately happening. Margaret Ann spends the good part of her day focusing on how that data is going to get people, she's going to use that data to get people to tune into March Madness programming or MLB playoff programming or NBA programming, whatever. It's the way of the world. You can't get away from it. It's going to happen. But can you control it? Can you go in and disconnect? There are ways to do it. And there's a lot of people who have spent a lot of time talking about it. But can you do it completely? I don't personally think you can. Um, And does it matter? If you cut it off here, are they getting it somewhere else? You know, the answer is usually yes. What do you guys think about it? I mean, I personally am past the point of thinking I can control it. So we're um, there's an Alexa right here that I'm staring at that's listening to this conversation. Uh, They don't have to to subscribe to biz dads. She's getting everything I have. There's, you know, my computer, my email, my phone, my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, Anne's TikTok and her, you know, Snapchat. And she's already following all of her friends around everywhere. Um, because of these mobile devices, like, does it, does it matter? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I'm okay with them having all my information, but it's the, it's the Alexa noises where they hear us talking is what freaks me out. But again, I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything illegal. So I'm not scared of the government knowing what I'm doing. But I can see how other people would be paranoid and be scared that the government's listening. But if you're not doing anything wrong, I don't understand why people get so worried about it. But that's just my little opinion. That's a great point. And I think your generation cares a lot less 
than Gen Xers, definitely more than boomers. Andres, what do you th- what's your thoughts? Well, I don't use all the social media outlets, but I use enough of them that I probably shouldn't be naive that there isn't a lot of tracking and all that going on. And if you ask me what my settings are on all those social media outlets, I definitely don't remember when I first set them up. And I definitely am not diligent about going back in, you know, once a year and updating them. I get a lot of emails about our privacy policy changed, but I, I can't honestly say that I carefully read them. I tend to go with what is reported in the news and I'm, 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 you know, ashamed a little bit to say if it's not being picked up in, you know, major news that there's been a data breach or that there's something I need to be nervous about in terms of my accounts, I'm probably exposed. You know, I probably have risk. And so I did not adopt a lot of the newer stuff that's come out um, like TikTok and some of the others, uh, but I probably have enough exposure that I should be paying more attention. Now, when it comes to my kids, you know, I take a different approach and, you know, they have much more limited access and I think limited exposure, at least at this point, you know, they're, they're, they're young. So, I mean, they should, but there is a new reality that if you're going to ensure, you know, for your health by exercising and eating right, and meditating and doing all these things, you know, for your health well-being, you know, maybe maybe there's this new movement that will take on where it's like if you're going to do social media and you're going to have a profile, you're going to also have to take some preventative measures so you don't go, you know, off the deep end. Let's talk about the kids real quick, because that's the one thing. It's the only thing I really struggle with. At the end of the day, we work in the advertising space. Everything we do is going to be data focused. And the data that you're giving up isn't necessarily just putting you at risk from a financial standpoint. Every part of your personal, quote unquote, individual profile, the, 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 the makeup of you is being put into some sort of profile out there that, that makes you reachable or attainable by advertisers. And that's how every brand in the world is currently spending money to, to reach you. They want you to buy the next Apple device. They want you to buy this car. They want you to buy this type of cereal. That kind of stuff, it's going to be hard to control. What has to be controlled is what your kids have access to. And one of the things we were talking politics a little earlier, my kids have a negative opinion of John Ossoff, who is a local candidate for Congress because of the ads that they're seeing on YouTube that are being run during their shows that I know are pretty clean shows. We try to limit what they see on YouTube and I really don't feel comfortable that I have a good enough grasp on it, on how to keep them from watching. We just try to get them off of it because I don't feel like I can do enough to protect them from that. I don't want my kids having an opinion generated on John Ossoff or Donald Trump. They're, they're, they've been, ironically, <laughs> opinions formed on both to where they don't like them. So I guess I'm raising moderates or libertarians because <laughs> they don't like either of them based on the ads that they see. And they have no understanding of what those ads are about other than somebody's talking bad about them. Well, my youngest, Andrew, said, you know, how come John Ossoff doesn't like Georgia families? He asked that <laughs> question. And it's all because somehow he got fed an ad. He doesn't have the right to vote. In a kid's program, he got fed an ad. 
Crazy. Yeah, I was at the dentist this morning, and the TVs in the dental the dental office um, were playing political ads for the U.S. Senate race here in Georgia. John Ossoff and David Perdue, and the dentist said, "Oh, I can't wait till you know these shows are over." And uh, you know, they sometimes ask you, like, "Do you want to watch something in particular?" I was just in there for a really quick procedure, so it, it I wasn't in there long enough. They probably just forgot. But um, yeah, you're just bombarded with it this time of year. Well, here's here's my story. You've got one about Ben. Here's what Frankie says last night. I told you we were having the discussion about school and talking about, you know, the economy and talking about the legislative, executive and judicial branch. And she says, Dad, why hasn't there been a female president? And, you know, so Heidi and I, we talked through that and said, well, you know, there almost was one um, the last election. And she says, well, I'm for Joe Biden. And I said, really? Well, why are you for Joe Biden? And she says, well, because he he has a female vice president and her name's Kamala Harris. And I was like, OK, well, yeah, but you do know that, you know, she's not going to be the president if he wins. And she said, well, but if he dies, she will be. And I said, well, we don't want <laughs> she, that. To, is she on the Democratic National Committee? We don't want any of our presidents to die, do we? And she says, well, but doesn't she have to become the president if he dies in office? And it just led to this long discussion. But, you know, you're right. I mean, they're, the, the idea that she's like three or four years old and this ain't happening, man, like, sorry, it, it's happening. It's and it's so, you, you know, I guess the moral of my story is, you know, we, we have to just do what we can to be vigilant and... Um, and then do what you can to expose our kids in a, you know, in a responsible way, I guess. That's probably too safe of a word. But, you know, to educate them about the issues and how the process works. You know, for me, just having that discussion without getting into the politics about how the process works um, of electing the president and how the vice president is nominated and selected. It was just it was it just made me realize real fast, like they're just going to get exposure and they're going to see and hear a lot of stuff. And I think it's great. I mean, I think it's great that they're getting that education. I think it's great that they're asking a lot of questions. Um, but for sure, I mean, my antennas go up and I want to make sure that they're, you know, because they're hearing everything I say and they're hearing everything my friends say when they're around them. And so, you know, I don't want them growing up in a bubble, but I want them to understand, you know, when they make, you know, when they pick up an iPad or they, you know, get on TV and turn on YouTube or something. Stuff's out there. Well, I'll tell you, man, we try to parent to every situation the best that we can. And I compare it to cussing. My kids have heard every word there is in the book. <laughs> Even just this week at the ballpark, they came back and said that another group of kids that, that kind of were causing a little trouble with them said the F word. And I reminded both of them that you're going to hear things all the time that people say, but you know that those words are adult words and they are not to be not to be repeated. I hope it sinks in. I hope that they're listening and I hope they can appreciate and respect my rule that they are not allowed to use those words, that they don't follow the, the habits of other people, myself included, because they've been in the backseat when I've cussed at somebody in the car or, or said a word in a, in a group setting laughing with friends that I shouldn't have said. I think every situation needs to be looked at similarly in that take the time to talk with them, 
have that conversation about why it was said, what it means, share the other side of the story, if you will, and and make sure that they understand because they are they're you know it's like from the mouths of babes come uh, all of these questions that if talked to like their kids they don't ever get anything out of it and they're probably worse off if you ignore it or if you you dumb it down be honest with them just be honest with them that's that's my parenting philosophy not my advice to to you or anyone out there but i think it's got to be you got to talk to them it's terrible that we have to deal with this but you know i remember my dad I, I remember the first time i ever heard my dad say the f word i was 12 13 years old he was with a bunch of his buddies we were visiting him back up in cleveland and i was devastated devastated that i heard him say that word because i knew what a bad word it was my kids hear that word all the time <laughs> and i can only hope not just for me but all the time in general Right, And I can only hope that they are really appreciating and understanding the fact that this is not your place to go and repeat everything that you've heard or to believe everything that you hear. So, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Well, I mentioned to you earlier in the show that I had a book um, because I want to finish that conversation that we talked about last week. And you were you were asking about getting, you know, getting, I don't want to say caught up because that's not the right term, but just, you know, getting getting your mind sort of sucked in, if you will, to the youth's competitive sports. So, you know, you probably have an issue when you when you go to the public library and, and you return book and you have a fine, number one. That's one issue, like I do. And then You're the only uh, person that still goes to public libraries and checks out books. And then the librarian says, <laughs> uh, you, you do know that you have 27 books out right now. And I said, is that all? <laughs> and he said, well, the limit's 30. I said, I got you. I don't ever go over the limit, but I go right up to it. So there's a couple of books that I want to throw out there. Um, I think that uh, I, I think are interesting. And one of them I actually started reading before last week's conversation, um, but I hadn't gotten far enough into it for me to be able to make a judgment or comment. But I think it's pretty good. It's written by former U.S. women's national team soccer player, gold medalist, multiple World Cups, multiple Olympic medalist, Christy Pierce Rampone. It's called Be All In, Raising Kids for Success in Sports in Life. And uh, it's it's really good, man. I think it talks a lot about some of the things that you probably encounter in the competitive youth sports of baseball that, you're, that you and Margaret Ann and other families are in. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we've had that conversation over the last week, probably two or three different times in terms of sports and just activities in general, not just sports, but, but just, you know, how... How do you get your kids exposed to things, but then not feel like you've got to, you know, go quote unquote all in at eight years old? So that one is be all in. It talks a lot about how sports can be huge in terms of teaching kids responsibility and independence and teamwork and a lot of the things that you've talked about. Um, so it's not an anti youth sports book. It's just how, you know, parents have to be kind of aware and some of the things you know, coaches and other people that are making decisions and influencing, you know, make sure that they're kind of not taking things too far. And this is coming from somebody who played very competitive youth sports and obviously played at the very highest levels. So I always take note of that. And then the other one on the social media side that I think is really interesting, if you want to understand why the social media is so uh, addictive and, and how these companies are, you know, now using just really, really advanced 
research in psychology and you know and influence and and combining that with technology is a book it's it's a few years old but i highly recommend it if you want to understand kind of what's behind it and what's behind habit forming products is a book called hooked and the uh the author's uh first name is near his last name's y'all e-y-a-l near y'all i recommend it if you're in. so those are my two books for the if you want to do some scholarship or you can just ask me and I'll tell you on the, about it on the podcast. There you sense. go. Um, we should start a book club. We should start making you do a book report. You have to finish the book and you have to give us the five minute book report on what, what you've read. That would probably be the best way for me to obtain all that information. That would be the best way for us to go from 12 to four listeners. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hey, let's jump into this week's final four. All right, Andres, great episode. Uh, a lot of good chat there. I, I'd be really one of my favorite topics as we go through a lot of the financial stuff and how that ties into sports. And then, you know, obviously I think there's just so much for us to talk about with, with the kids that privacy conversation will, will resurface multiple times. But since we were talking about sports, we were talking about all the, the millions of dollars that we're going to eventually earn together. I guess we're going to need billions now. If you could buy a team, which one would you buy? So I'm going to ask all three of us if you could buy an NFL, any pro team. It doesn't have to be U.S. It could be globally. If you could buy a team, which one would you buy? And I'll start. If I could buy a team, I think I would have to buy the Cleveland Indians. My passion, history of my family, uh, the legacy of the franchise, the need for a championship in 82 years, maybe more now, all of that would be the reason why I would buy the Major League Baseball Cleveland Indians. Andres? It's similar. It's a different sport, uh, but for not not different reasons. I would I would buy the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, and I would do that because it would it would get me in the uh, it would get me in the NFL in a market that is not a top five market, but it would it's got a super loyal fan base and uh a lot of people you know in the midwest who they've just been season ticket holders for a long long time um the chiefs mean a lot to them it's a it's a hometown team and it would get me connected uh back you know to the midwest and to a lot of family and a lot of friends who i could bring up to my uh to my owner's suite every sunday for home games there you go twist you can't buy clemson who are you buying yeah, I wanted to say Clemson, but if it's professional, I don't know. I'm thinking the L.A. Rams or the L.A. Chargers just because I feel like there'd be so many business back opportunities out there. And I, there's a lot of hospitality out there and they, I could take the most amount of clients there and hang out. You're taking the LeBron approach. Twist goes to L.A. This producer thing is getting to your head, huh? All right, I'm going to throw one out there for all three of us because it, we're doing such a great job here in the biz dads world. We might as well go for the absolute biggest of the big, and that would more than likely have to be arguably the number one franchise in the world, the Manchester United soccer team of the English Premier League. About 400 million fans across the country. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, across the globe. 400 million fans across the globe. And... Uh, you know, an estimated annual revenue of around three to four billion dollars. So, let's go buy it. What are you guys doing? 
Empty your pockets. I'm in. All right, Biz Dads Nation. All you number one fans making us the number one podcast in all of Smyrna, Georgia. We are uh, appreciative. And you guys have a great rest of your week. This is the Biz Dads. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>